All right, welcome to NETS uh, session five. We're still uh, look, looking at uh, how the Word of God uh, interprets itself in light of timing of events uh, in Scripture. And we're going to look at tonight at the subject of you must be born again. And I'd like to start at the beginning. You know how I like to start at the beginning. So if you'd go to John 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. And we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And in verse 11, And He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. Now, who was His own? Jesus was out of the tribe of Judah, in the kingdom of Israel, he was a Judean. He was sent to the house of Israel. The children of Israel were his own. He was sent to his own, and they did not receive him. When he was on the road with his disciples, and the Syrophoenician woman came and asked for healing for her daughter, he said, it's not good that the bread of the children should be given to the dogs. He said that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he was sent to. He came to them and they did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. That same woman when she was given that answer from him that it's not good to give the bread, the children's bread to dogs, she said, but even the dogs eat from the scraps that fall from the table. And he said, woman, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel. And she received that which she desired. Likewise, he has given all who will receive him the right to become children of God, those who will believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. John is st stating this. He was one of the three apostles that were on the mount with Jesus when He was transfigured before them. And they beheld His glory. But all that saw him saw the glory of God, because he said, if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And he was full of grace and truth. He was made flesh, dwelt among us, and was full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, beginning in 47, excuse me, 43, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. He was speaking of the city of Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem. And just a few years after he spoke this, indeed this happened and Jerusalem was leveled and Tens of thousands of men were crucified. Many men, women, and children were put to death. And he said, in prophecy, before it even happened, it was because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept because they rejected him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Now, obviously, some individuals did, but the nation as a whole did not receive him. Now as a review, we looked in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26, and it said, After 62 weeks the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And that all occurred as Jesus even said it was going to. And as Daniel had prophesied it almost 500 years before. 
or had written it down as the angel had spoken it to him. And it continued at the end of it shall be with a flood and it shall end of, <coughs> until the end of the war of desolations are determined. There doesn't appear to be a break in there, but as we saw last time, there is a break and a, and a, a great many years of time between that 69th week and the 70th week of Daniel. <coughs> now, we know from history that it was in 445 B.C., that um, the decree went out that's spoken of in Nehemiah chapter 2 to rebuild Jerusalem. So it was in A.D. 32, in April, that Jesus came into Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Just before the Passover, he came in and they received him as the king of the Jews. But yet, within a short time, he had been bound and turned over to Pilate to be tried and to be executed. And in Matthew 27, we read about Pilate when Jesus was before him. And in verse 17 it says, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Now Pilate was the representative of Rome, sent there to keep order into the most turbulent of all the provinces of all of the Roman Empire, which was Judea. Jesus was brought to, to him. Jesus was no threat to Rome. Jesus was no threat to Pilate, but he was a threat to the Pharisees and to the powers that be in the religious systems of Judea and Israel. And so therefore they brought him to Pilate because they did not have the ability nor the legal right to put anyone to death, which is what they wanted to do to Jesus. He could not find anything wrong with Jesus. He said, this is an innocent man. And he told them so. But they did not want him released. Well, he thought he would use the custom which was to release a prisoner every year at Passover time. Passover being the main festival of the seven festivals of Israel. That was their big high, high day. And Rome, in order to uh, appease a little bit, would release a, a political prisoner every year at this time. And he thought, since I have an innocent man here, what I'm going to do is I, since the, the powers that be want me to go ahead and crucify him, I'm going to turn to the people because of, of, of course they're not as envious as these leaders are and I'm going to give them a choice. I'm going to pick the very worst of the prisoners and his being a politician he was counting on the masses to make the right choice and choose the innocent man rather than the, the most guilty person he had in his prison at the time. The most notorious man he had at the time. Now, he went before the people. He knew that it was because of envy that they'd turned Jesus over to him. He could find nothing wrong with Jesus. And verse 19, And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife came to him and said, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Even his wife received a warning pointing out that Jesus was innocent. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? Jesus who's called the Messiah. And they said to him, Let him be crucified. Remember, this is just a few short days after he was heralded as the king of the Jews to fulfill the prophecies. Even to the point that when the Pharisees came to Jesus on that day and said, tell your disciples to cool it. And, and he said, hey, if they were 
to be quiet on this day, the rocks would cry out. Because it was in Scripture that that was going to happen when he came in to Jerusalem as the king. And he knew that scripturally it had to happen one way or another. If the people didn't cry out, God would raise up the rocks. And yet here the Pharisees, the men that studied the law, didn't understand it. Couldn't put it together even though the dates and the times were all there written in their own scripture. Then the governor, Pilate, said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Let him be crucified! And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, I don't know if God will allow him to be uh, free from the blood, because he did have the authority. It was out of fear uh, of a riot, and then having to answer to Rome on what the riot was about under his watch. But, so it was out of fear that he turned over a man whom he knew to be just to men that he knew only brought him forward because of their own envious and political purposes. But nevertheless, in his culture, he thought he could wash his hands, show forth to them that he disagreed with what they were doing and he didn't want any part in it. He told them, you do it. And here's what their response was. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. They brought the curse upon themselves. Now there was the son of Abraham, Isaac. He had two sons, Esau and Jacob. His favorite was Esau. But his wife, Rebekah, her favorite was Jacob. And she wanted Jacob to receive the inheritance and the blessing. And so she told her son to go in when it was time and to receive her father's blessing. And he said he wouldn't do it. Because he was afraid of a curse coming on him. And she said, let that curse come on me. And you receive the blessing. So he obeyed her and he received the blessing and she died. Of course, she knew that that blessing would be such a great blessing that she was willing to do that. But nevertheless, words are powerful. And she brought that death sentence on herself, just as these people at this time were bringing the sentence of death of blood upon their own heads and their children, their descendants. And historically, you can look in the history books and you can see that from this time on, Israel was a cursed nation. Whereas from the time of Abraham on, they were a blessed nation. And even Balaam, the prophet, who wanted to curse them, couldn't curse them. But rather his curses turned to blessings. Every time he tried to bring a curse upon them, the word of the Lord would come and he would speak a greater blessing. And Balak, the king who was paying him to curse the children of Israel, got more and more upset. But from this day on, something changed. And rather than a blessed people, they've been a cursed people, and they've been dispersed all across the world. Now in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul speaks to this. And he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says that Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then... At this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, the rest of Israel. 
those of Israel who chose the new covenant, the individual covenant, with their God, received salvation by grace. Those that continued to be zealous for the law, that tried to receive their salvation through the works of the law, did not receive salvation, but rather received the judgment of the blood which is upon their head. Now Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And thereby extending forgiveness for all sins. He became a curse for us because it says that every, accursed is every man that is hang, hung upon a tree. So he became a curse for us as well as a curse for Israel. So even though they brought a curse on themselves and on their children, Jesus became that curse and extended forgiveness. But that forgiveness must be received. It's available for every man, woman, and child in the world today. For every man, woman, and child that's ever lived since that day. But it must be received. A gift that's extended still must be received. Or it will not do you any good. So as they brought the curse upon themselves, it says, Then Pilate released Barabbas, and he scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 44, it says, Jesus is talking about, to, talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking about their father. Now, Barabbas means literally son of the father. Bar means son. Abbas or Abba means father. So literally, Barabbas means son of the father. Jesus is the son of God. Barabbas, the son of the father, Jesus, the son of the heavenly father. Now in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He's the originator of lying. The first lie is recorded in Genesis where he went to the woman and he said, You shall not surely die. That was a lie. It was the opposite of what God said when he said, You will surely die. And he is the father. He originated lying. So, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. By that lie, the father of lies caused the woman to eat from the tree, and the man willingly followed. And from that point on, man was dead. At that point, the devil became a murderer because it, in a literal sense, that connection that God had with man, that spirit that was upon him was divided from him. In other words, the connection was murdered. That connection to God, the spirit that was upon man at that point in time was killed. The devil became a murderer. He was a liar. Man became a living dead person. Separated from God with a death sentence. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes not but except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus has come, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Two opposites. One to bring life, one to bring death. It says in Mark 15 about Barabbas that he was chained with his fellow rebels. And they had committed murder in the rebellion. So Barabbas, the son of the father, was a murderer. Just like his father, the devil. And he was chained with his fellows. However, when he was released, he was willing to leave them behind with their death sentence. And he escaped. He took his freedom and left. Jesus, just the opposite. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus 
would never leave us or forsake us. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Barabbas was willing to leave his fellows and receive freedom that he didn't deserve. Jesus would not leave his fellows, his friends, and yet received a death sentence that he didn't deserve. Jesus, the Son of God, Barabbas, the Son of the Father. John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus relates, that greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then he said, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus said, greater ha love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And then he went out and laid down his life for his friends. Barabbas left his friends to die. Even though he was guilty, Jesus died for his friend, friends, even though he was not guilty. Jesus said in John 14, verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Isaiah says he was the father of all eternity. He said he was not going to leave them as orphans, but he was going to come to them. Did he have to leave for a time? Sure. He had to go. He had to die. He had to be in the ground three days and three nights, but then he rose from the dead. And from that point on, he could say, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his sons, into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, you're my father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Barabbas, the son of the father. But now, because of the son of God, we are able to say, Abba, Father, to our heavenly father. We now, through Jesus, the firstborn, are able to be born again into his family as an heir of God. Only through him. Only through Christ do we have access to sonship. There are two spirits in the world. The spirit of darkness and the spirit of light. Two religions in the world. The religion of works and the religion of grace. The religion of Cain, the religion of Abel. One of death, one of life. We are to be the children of light. We are to be the light of the world. Now, as we read earlier in John, those that believe on him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And that's the Greek word, technon. We have to become children of God before we can grow up as sons, as mature and perfect men and women of God. When Jesus was baptized, recorded in John chapter 1, verse 32, it says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and it remained on him. Whereas the first Adam had the Spirit upon him, but when he sinned, that murder, the devil killed that connection. And he lost that connection. And from that point until the resurrection, anyone who did receive the grace of Holy Spirit upon them in any measure could also lose it. Could have it for a time, could lose it. Could have it for a time at God's will, and it could be gone. Could have it for their entire life and be taken uh, because of sin. Or could stay faithful and retain it until they died. But it says that Jesus received it and it remained on him. It never left, but it stayed on him for all his days right until the crucifixion. And Jesus, in John chapter 3, verse 3, was speaking to Nicodemus. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus was a leader of the people, one of the Sanhedrin. He came to him at night, and this remarkable record was spoken only to one man. 
that Jesus said, even though he was preaching the kingdom wherever he went, he said it was impossible for anyone to really see the kingdom or to comprehend the kingdom unless they were born again. Born again is the Greek word anothen. It means a new creation. Literally, it means born from above. Now, another key to rightly dividing the scriptures is we must watch the subject categories within the context. So as we continue, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? What category is the mother's womb? Flesh or spirit? It's flesh, obviously. <laughs> the mother's womb is flesh. And Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit. So two categories we have here again. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, in verse 6, two categories again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. So we have two categories. One is flesh. One is spirit. So we have spirit in verse 3. We have flesh in verse 4. Now in verse 5, we have water and spirit. Many people interpret that born of water to be baptism. However, in the context, there's no, speak, there's no uh, talking about baptism whatsoever. But there is talk of being born from the mother, from the mother's womb. And we know that any natural birth has the water breaks first. So to be born of water is not to be baptized in water, but it is to be born of the flesh. To be born physically. And we can see that by dividing the scriptures here and watching the subject categories, which are just two here. Flesh and spirit. Not baptism. So, born of water is flesh. Born of the spirit is spirit. Born of the flesh, verse 6, is flesh. Born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say you must be born again. Spirit. Born from above. In, chapter, in the same chapter in verse 12, it says, If I have told you earthly things, and you have, do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Again, earthly things, heavenly things. Flesh, spirit. Again, in the context here, in this chapter, it's those two subjects are being compared. We've got to begin in the flesh. We've got to have a life in the flesh, but we cannot remain there. Because that life is dead. That life will not remain eternally. So therefore we must be born again. We must have a, a second birth that will give us eternal life. That will give us spiritual life. That will, in a sense, raise us from death unto life. Transfer us from one category to another. Transfer our life from the life of the flesh to the life of the spirit. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why is He condemned already? Because he is a son of his father in the flesh, Adam. Adam had the death sentence. Adam was condemned to death. And so all his children after the flesh are born with that same judgment of death. That same death sentence is on every single person, person that draws breath. It's their inheritance of their father. They are condemned already has nothing to do with being good or being bad. It has to do with being born. Receiving eternal life has nothing to do with being good or being bad. It has everything to do with being born again. Now certainly, there's an inheritance that has all to do with whether we're obedient. But, He did not come to condemn the world. And those who do not believe are condemned already because He's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, 
and men love darkness rather than light. Give us Barabbas, because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. When Cain had a sacrifice which was rejected of God, he killed Abel. Rather than change from their wicked ways, Israel asked for their Messiah to be crucified. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the spirit by measure. Unto Jesus, that spirit was not given by measure. It wasn't metered out. It wasn't given in a portion as it was to all the men of the Old Testament. But it was given everything that God was, was given to Jesus when he received that Holy Spirit, when he came up out of the waters of baptism. And it said he, that that spirit remained on him. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. The judgment of God abides on everyone that has not received a pardon of the death sentence that was received through their father, Adam. We must be born again. How are we born again? In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This is the beginning of eternal life. This is the beginning of salvation. This is also the beginning of spiritual growth. Because just like with the natural, we cannot begin to grow until we've been born. We don't grow as a human being until we've been born and then we begin to mature and grow as a human being. As a spiritual being, once we're born again, then we begin to grow as a child of God. How does one receive the Lord? By confessing Him as Lord. Let's pray the prayer of salvation. Lord, I recognize that as a son of man, that I have a death sentence, that I'm a sinner. And I recognize that salvation is only through you. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and to be my savior and to bring eternal life. I receive you as my Lord. I believe that you are alive now, that you've been raised from the dead after having died for my sins and become a curse for me. I ask for forgiveness for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. To receive him like that is to receive eternal life. To receive him like that is to be born again. Because when you confess him as your Lord, having believed that God raised him from the dead, you receive Holy Spirit as a token of your inheritance. You must first be in the family before you can qualify for an inheritance. At this point, and only at this point, can spiritual growth begin. At this point, after being saved, we become an infant. We become a child of God. And there's a Greek word, nepios. N-E-I, excuse me, N-E-P-I-O-S, which means an infant or a neophyte. Literally, it means one that's not speaking. Comes from two word, Greek words, ne-epos. One that can make sounds but doesn't really speak sentences. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, it says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. In this whole section, Paul is talking about being a neophyte, being an infant. It's time for them to grow. That when he became a man, he didn't act like an infant anymore. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. To be born into the family may put you in the lineage or the line of heirship, but as long as you remain an infant, you have no right to the inheritance. So even though as a Christian now I've received the Lord and I've received the Holy Spirit of promise, I have the Spirit now as a token of an inheritance which I can attained to, only in Jesus, as we see. And he said to his disciples, I no longer call you slaves or servants, but I call you friends, because I'm going to show you things. I'm go and I've been showing you things, which a, a master would not show a slave, but a father would show children. A friend would show his friends. And I'm teaching you these things. But as long as we remain a child, and many, many Christians remain infants, they are saved. They have eternal life. They have Holy Spirit even as a token of an inheritance that they should have. But they never receive that. They have no title to that inheritance because they have not grown from infants to adults. Being born again is probably the greatest miracle there is. But it's only the beginning of our course with God. In a sense, we've received salvation. In a sense, we've begun salvation. We have received eternal life. To the Old Testament man or woman, that the Holy Spirit was given to them as an, a token of eternal life. For us, in the New Testament, we're born again. We don't have the Holy Spirit as a token of eternal life. We have the Holy Spirit, which is eternal life. But for us, he's a token of an inheritance which we can attain. But this only begins the process. It, it, it gives you your eternal life, and now you have a choice of what will you do with that eternal life. You received it by grace. You can only add anything to your life through grace, by walking his grace. An heir you have become an heir with Jesus Christ. Part of that mystery which was kept hid before the foundation of the world, that you could be a joint heir with Christ, a joint heir with the firstborn, that you, not being a firstborn, yet could attain the same inheritance as the firstborn, sharing fully, not dividing part. But even though that heirship is available to you, you must attain it. You must receive it. You receive it by growing from an infant into a child of God that has grown and matured. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And that we should no longer be children, nepios, infants, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness, uh, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You ever heard the saying, it was as easy as taking candy from a baby? Meaning the baby can't resist. An adult can take, even though that child is very interested in that candy, probably more interested than the adult. <laughs> but nevertheless, the adult can take it by one means or another. As we remain infants... We can be tossed about to and fro, carried about by every doctrine that comes along. It's easy to be pushed here, to be drawn there. However, it says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up. Now, what is it about speaking that makes you grow? Now, in the physical sense, talk doesn't make you grow physically, but it will make you grow mentally because we learn by what we hear. The things that we're taught helps us to grow, to learn. Nepios, literally meaning 
no speaking. Because once we're saved, we may not know anything that we can really say that's true, except that Jesus is Lord now. But as we grow in the things of God and we're able to articulate the truth and we speak the truth, we come to know the truth and the truth makes us free. And we are able then to grow up. By speaking the truth in love, we're able to grow. <coughs> we grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ Jesus. So as we begin to put on the word of God with meekness and to retain it, and then to release it as we go through that process of receiving and retaining and releasing, we grow. And we become older in the spirit. From being born again to a spiritual adult. Unlike in the physical realm, where we're going to grow, as long as we're fed, we're going to grow. And it goes, in each year, we get a little bit taller, we get a little bit heavier, in the spirit, however, because it's eternal life, it doesn't grow by the years. It grows by the food that you feed it. The word of God. The prophet said, I found the word and I did eat it. And it became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. He became strong spiritually because he devoured the word. We also, once having received the Holy Spirit, by confessing Jesus as Lord, we have begun our process of growth. Too many Christians end there and don't continue. To do evangelism and to say that we've saved souls when we've only brought them to the place where they confess Jesus as Lord and then leave them at that place is to leave them as babes ready to be blown about by winds. Children, infants of God, Heirs, to be sure, but having no inheritance because they have not been given the instructions of how to grow and mature spiritually. How to attain to that inheritance. But by speaking the truth in love, they also may grow up. If someone would teach them this, faith would come by hearing. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Babes are unskilled in the word. So therefore, as we grow into mature Christians, we become skilled in the word. It's necessary that we would understand the word, that we would put this on in our hearts and our mind. As David said, I hid the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We must put it on in our hearts and carry it with us. We must learn it. We must put some effort into that so that our salvation might be complete. It doesn't even begin until we receive the Lord Jesus. Until we're born again, we haven't even begun the process. We're not even in the family. We have no eternal life. Once we receive Jesus as our Lord, we have eternal life by grace. However, the process of our salvation, which is only complete when we have a full inheritance, has begun. And while we have eternal life and we have salvation through that eternal life, there's a fullness of a salvation which needs to be through our inheritance, which comes by our growth and our faithfulness in the family of God. Matthew chapter 21, verse 16, And Jesus said to them, Have you not never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Beginning <laughs> right with salvation, the first thing we hear is praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. When someone realizes that they've been saved from all that sin, when they realize for the first time that they are forgiven, immediately there's that thankfulness and joy and praise. That's where it begins. Come into my gates with thanksgiving and into my courts with praise. That's how we come in. By thanksgiving and by praise. It doesn't need to, you don't need to be able to articulate too much of the word to begin there. To begin with thankfulness and praising God. Basically every person that received a healing from Jesus... Whether they knew much of the word of God or not, they began by thanking God and praising God because they'd received a blessing. We as children begin there, but we can't only remain there. We need to go in. 
through the gates. Now, we grow, as we grow, there's a next stage, which is a young child. Pation. P-A-I-D-I-O-N. Matthew 18, 4, it says, Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. As we grow, we learn to walk in humility. We learn the process of one of the paradoxes of the Christian walk is to become less so God can make us more. But we grow from an infant into a young child spiritually. Now in John chapter, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13, the Apostle John says, I, wrote, I write to you fathers, which is the word pater, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, which is the word naniskos, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, little children, which is Padion, because you have known the Father. You see, we become an infant when we confess Jesus as Lord. As we, become, as we begin to know him, Jesus says, if you know me, you'll know the Father. As we begin to know him, we get to know the Father. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth is Jesus, and you'll be made free. So young children begin to know their father. Infants generally are more interested in their mother and their mother's milk. But as they begin to toddle, they get to know other members of the family. And they get to know their father. Discipleship begins as a technon, which is a son or a child. And it says in Romans 8, 17, if, a, if, a, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So basically, as an infant, then we grow into a young child, but then we become a son, the Greek word technon. And really, discipleship, disciplining, really, although it may begin earlier, this is the point. When we become a son, is where we really begin our discipleship. We've grown to that place. I would venture to say that probably the majority of Christians in history, or at least in modern history, have never grown to that point of going from infanthood into the young child of a, as a Christian, getting to know their father, and advancing as a, as a son, a technon, to where they actually become disciples of the teachings of Christ. It's a shame I don't believe it's going to remain the same. I hope it doesn't remain the same. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 22, Paul is speaking of Timothy. He says, but you know his proven character. Speaking about Timothy, you know his proven character that as a son, a technon, with his father, he served with me in the gospel. You see, he was old enough... Timothy was old enough spiritually to serve with his father, Paul, spiritual father. A babe couldn't do that, an infant, and neither could a young child. Although a young child is getting to know his father, a technon, a son, is actually able to serve because he's becoming disciplined. He's becoming discipled. And he has proven character. He's being perfected in his actions, in his walk, in his lifestyle. 1 Corinthians 4, 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons. Technon. As my beloved sons, I warn you. It doesn't do any good really to warn a baby except about certain things like hot. No. Don't eat that. <laughs> Basic things. But here as a son, he's able to warn them about deeper dangers. And he says, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So therefore be followers of me. He could say that to them for the, because they were sons. He could warn them and then he could say, imitate me. Which is the word follower. To imitate him. To imitate what he's doing. 
Take a hammer, take a nail. Now do like I'm doing and teach them. Ephesians 5.1 says, But be therefore followers of God as dear children. Technon, as sons. Follow God as a son that's growing in the things of God. Ephesians 5.8, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, sons of light. Sons can walk. Babies crawl or sit there. Toddlers toddle, but sons can get up and walk. God intends for us to begin and be born again, but he doesn't intend for us to remain infants. He intends for us to grow, to imitate, to be discipled, and to walk. He intends for us to manifest the light which his son brought into the world, because he was the light of the world. John 15, 8 says, But by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. How will we bring glory to the Father? By obeying the Son. Jesus said to his disciples to go into all the world to preach the gospel and to teach men to obey the, his commandments, to be discipled, to make disciples of the nations. We, in this time, by understanding the timing of Scripture, during this time of grace, during this time that was hidden from before the foundation, that if the devil had known about it, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. That we can understand now that we live in a day of grace, no longer of works, lest any man should boast, but of grace, that in the name of the Lord Jesus we can receive salvation in his name, receive eternal life, and have the Holy Spirit of promise, that we may now grow as children of God, sons of light, and attain unto the inheritance and be joint heirs with Christ, that with being born again by confessing Jesus as our Lord and believing God raised him from the dead, that we receive then the greatest gift of all, the Holy Spirit of promise. We receive then the greatest gift of all, the life of Jesus Christ. We receive then the greatest gift of all, eternal life. And then we begin a process which does not end until we have grown up and been perfected, till we have become overcomers, until we have been discipled to the Lord Jesus Christ and actually grown to be his friends. Amen.